0: So we are doing a sermon series called Ask Your Pastor. And for a multitude of reasons, one specifically being that I find that a lot of people are intimidated to ask their pastor anything. They, they make the assumption that, well, I can't ask this question or, or um, they don't have time or, or I don't want to bother them. And, and, you know, being respectful is nice, but your pastor is supposed to be there for you. To answer the questions that might arise when you read the Bible and pray and when circumstances of life occur. So hopefully in this series, our relationship will grow to where you know you can come and ask me anything. Now, I don't have all of the answers. I don't pretend to have all of the answers. Um, quite frankly, last week we had a time of, of open questions. The first two questions were two of the, the ones that I have struggled with probably my whole walk with Jesus. And I did the best I could, um, but that that was we left it at that. So this week's question, boiled down, is what is sin? Um, You may have been told that something you have done is sin. You may have been called, maybe by your pastor, a sinner. And you understand the concept in and of itself. You'll see we have a picture of an apple here with a bite out of it, sort of the stereotype when it comes to the original sin in the Garden of Eden. But what does that mean? When we talk about Sin, what does the Bible mean when it refers to sin and that we shouldn't and when it identifies sin? We're going to explore that a little bit today. Here's the original question. And honestly, it's probably one of the most important questions I received when I asked you guys to give questions, and it was this. How do I stop the one sin that just won't go away? Please help me with this one because I'm having a very hard time With this one particular sin now they didn't identify what that sin is and today I probably won't identify sin human nature wants to have a list of do's and do not do's so that we know whether or not we're making God angry or if we're pleasing him when you read the Bible and you understand Jesus you understand that indeed there are uh, there are uh, things that we should do and not do but if our heart has not been transformed, what we do and don't do really is irrelevant. When Jesus talked about uh, adultery, he said that adultery started as, as, as lust in a man's heart. And that without a change of, uh, of an internal mindset, what happens externally really is irrelevant. For a man who has lusted after a woman in his heart, he's already committed adultery there. That's enough to damn him to hell. That's enough to be found guilty. And as you read, and Jesus uses other uh, examples, not just lust, but but um, but anger and that sort of thing. How it all begins in this this core part of our being and who we are. And and maybe you're maybe today you've come here and thought, well, I'm not I'm not a sinner, I'm not I haven't committed sin. Well, oh, what I've done is not that bad. I, I I might give you that one. I might say, you know what? Maybe what you've done is not that bad. But the Bible is very clear that sin, it, it not only is 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 uh, part of all of us, every every human that has ever existed. Um, we are all capable, and and we are the ones that put levels to our sin. Okay, so this sin's not so bad. This one's really bad. You know, adultery, super bad. Lying, not so bad in some occasions. You know, dishonoring your parents, that doesn't matter once you get older. And so we make these levels. And even if we were talking about maybe lying, we'd say, well, we we give levels to that. Lying, you know, big lies are big lies. And this little lie, I had to to protect myself. What the Bible does is just kind of levels everything out and says sin is sin. That if you are guilty of one sin, you're guilty of the whole thing. So today you're going to be challenged to look at your own life, to identify your own sin. What is that sin in your life that... Whoever asked this question, it was an anonymous question. Do you share that same sentiment? There's just that one thing that I can't seem to kick. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's lusting. Maybe it's, it's it's just being self-centered. Maybe it's being quick to anger. Maybe it's a multitude of things put together. You just can't seem to quit. You've given your life to Jesus and you've you've waited for that magic moment where every desire just stops and it hasn't happened yet here's what I'm not going to do and I had a graphic and I've got to bring it with me but but here's what here's what I want you to avoid doing finding someone or 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 some book that says hey here's your five-step guide to a new you to overcoming sin it's not that these people are are, are right or wrong it misses the entire point of sin sin so radically changed human nature that it took God himself dying on a cross to overcome it. If today, if you have a low view of sin, imagine you having to give your child to satisfy that debt. That is what God has done to satisfy the debt of the world. If you think that sin is not a big deal, then you don't have a very high view of the cross or Jesus' sacrifice. That's why we, at this church, we talk about sin a great deal. It's not because we think less of you or think low of you. We understand that sin in any form is dangerous. Sin is separation between you and God. Sin sin makes war between you and God. Sin is rebellion. But here's the good news. Jesus came to this earth, God became a man, lived a sinless life to give himself as a perfect sacrifice so that we might become forgiven. And there are some who in in good intentions but but wrongly continue to identify themselves as the sin that they commit. So if your sin is, is quick to being angry, that becomes part of your identity. I'm here to tell you today that that your identity is a child of God. That your identity, who you are, is a forgiven, adopted child of the one true God. That Jesus died to adopt you into his family. And no matter what that sin is, you are not that sin. That is not who you are. This is particularly hard with uh, with teens and, and young adults who may commit Things like adultery, who may, who may uh, be promiscuous and, and commit all kinds of sexual sin. And especially for ladies, stereotypically, it becomes part of their identity. It's very hard for them to shake that. It's a double standard where, where men are, are encouraged to go and conquer and, and uh, have sex with anything that moves. But for ladies, it's the exact opposite. And if a woman was to do that, the, the world's view of them becomes very low. It's a double standard. It's wrong. And both are wrong but my point is this that's not their identity when jesus becomes our savior when we put our faith in christ all the sins that we have committed and all the sins that we will commit are forgiven by the blood of the cross what that means is you are different you are now engaging embarking on this brand new path of life There has been a giant fork in the road, and you're going an entirely different direction. And you are being transformed in the same way that a a, a, a caterpillar goes into a cocoon and then becomes a butterfly. That is the process that is happening to you when you give your life to Jesus. He takes you dead, gives you his life so that you may have a new life found only in him. We praise God for that. We praise God that that he thought of us in that way. Because truthfully, he had no obligation towards us. He created man. Man sinned. He could have just annihilated Adam and Eve. So that's it. Done. But he didn't. Even in the garden, after Adam and Eve tried to cover up their own sin with fig leaves or plant leaves... God comes and makes sacrifice and covers them with these animal clothing. It's, the it's the first sacrifice we find in the Bible. God has always been the one to make things right. Today, things don't, things don't hinge on your performance. See, for me, that's incredibly liberating. When you go to work tomorrow, there are certain things that if you don't do them, you could get in trouble, Right? Your manager might come and ream you out. Your, your boss might come and have a, a sit-down with you. You might be written up. If you don't perform up to their standards, the good news is that Jesus has fulfilled God's standards. That, that the righteousness we seek are, is his righteousness, not our own. We, we don't want to stand before God and say, look at what I've done. Because Isaiah says that our own self-righteousness hangs on us like filthy rags. That it's garbage, refuse, self-righteousness always is very unappealing. But that we will stand before God and we will we will we will have the righteousness of Jesus if we are found in Christ. So going back to our question, because I've kind of went off on a tangent there. So what is sin? There are lots of people, you know, as time has gone by, who like to define sin in different ways. Um, if you just make a list of what you can't do or what you should do. You kind of miss the point, your heart's not changing, you're just you're just becoming a legalist at that point or religious and and we don't want you to be either one of those. A legalist creates a system and, a re, and someone who is in religion creates a system to reach out to God to please God and is attempting to build a bridge to God and and, and someone who is in relationship with Christ does the opposite. God has created the bridge from us or from him to us. And we rely on him and what he does rather than our own efforts. Let's contrast how the Bible defines sin, excuse me, how the Bible defines sin and how the world defines sin. Some of you here, and I mean this in the most respectful way, have been here longer than me. And when I say, I mean you're older than me, you're wiser than me. And that's awesome. Now, how many of you who have been around here longer than me see in the world that what was once considered wrong now is not only uh, not considered wrong, it's considered right and it's celebrated? How many people have seen that happen in your in your few decades here on this planet? Raise your hand. Yeah, I'm only 36, and I have witnessed that. That is because the world measures sin. And, and, and what is wrong on a, on a scale, on a sliding scale that's relevant to time. So what was once considered sinful is no longer sinful. It's now celebrated. Culture dictates what is sinful, nobody else. What has happened is that man considers themselves God, and we determine what's right and wrong. And, and if enough people say that what's wrong is right, well, then we've got to change our minds. That's sort of the way that the world sees sin. And, and even if and even then, I'm sort of taking a leap here because some folks say, well, there is no sin. There is nothing wrong. Everything is relative. And even if they do say, well, yeah, there is a, such a thing as, as sin or something that's morally wrong, it's all external. It doesn't start here. It's external things that penetrate us rather than starting from inside of us and working its way out. Both of these, or all of these put together, are are completely anti-biblical. If you've read the Bible and you've been able to say, you know what? I've never sinned, then you are Jesus, the Son of God. He's the only one. Every other person, including me and, and all your people that you hold in high esteem as being super spiritual or whatnot, who have read the Bible, at some point will read something and say, you know what? That's me. He's talking about me. I've done that. I've become good at doing that. The Bible defines sin as rebellion towards God. It's often defined as missing the mark. I kind of like that definition, but I kind of don't. Have you ever played darts or or shot a bow and arrow towards a target? You can miss the target, but you don't miss it by very much, right? Let's use that same analogy when when you talk about sin being missing the mark. You're not even pointing in the right direction. The target's there and you're shooting off that way, up too high and into a crowd. You're missing the mark by too much. You're missing the mark not just by, oh, I did my best and I almost made it. No, you're not even playing. You don't even have a bow and arrow. You're throwing rocks. That's how bad you're off the mark. Christians... Christ followers are pretty exclusive in the thought and idea that sin starts here, inside of us. That sin is not just something that can be corrected by by good habits, but it's part of the very fiber of who we are. When the Bible refers to the flesh, that's what the Bible is referring to, the, the part of us that is corrupted by sin. It's the part of us that needs to die and die immediately. It needs to continuously die until we go and we meet the Lord. Sin, I want you to walk away from today knowing that sin is not just a little thing. It's not something to trifle with or to play with. It's the equivalent of trying to carry fire and not being burned. It is impossible to deal with sin, to partake in sin and not hurt yourself and somebody else. Some of you have been fooled into thinking, well, my sin only affects me, and so I'm okay with that. I guarantee you there is somebody else who is a victim of your sin. If you fly off the handle at the drop of a hat, I guarantee you there are people who are afraid to be around you or do not want to be around you for that very reason. If your your thing, your sin is pornography, and you might say, well, I'm by myself and there's nobody there and it's my right and blah, blah, blah. I guarantee you there's somebody somewhere who's devastated, especially if you're married. There's somebody who is so deeply cut by that sin, and they might be hiding it well, and they might be putting on a good face, but you need to realize that that sin affects them too. I want you to walk away with a high understanding of what sin is i want to avoid the cliches you know uh, somebody railing against you for being a sinner i just want you to see it for what it is i want you when you know when easter rolls around and it's resurrection sunday and we're, we're we're have our good friday service and we're talking about jesus dying on the cross that it becomes that much more real for you that the sacrifice that he gave the blood that he shed was not only for the sins of the world but specifically for what you have done I also don't want you to walk away sullen and downtrodden I don't want you you know walking around like this kicking rocks I'm just a sinner how could God ever love me I want you to realize what God has done for you because there's nothing that makes him more holy than when we realize what he has done for us it changes how we view him we see him not just as a God who died but we see him as our Savior We see see what he's done for us. If you will just acknowledge your sin for just a moment and realize that Jesus loved you so much that he would die for those things so that you wouldn't die for those things. It will change how you view Jesus forever. It will change how you view the cross forever. It will change how you see Resurrection Sunday and Good Friday forever. It will change who you are forever. Sin is like poison. To me, that's the best way to describe sin. Sin is like poison. So if you were to take a pure pitcher of water and put just a tiny bit of poison in it, how many of you would partake of it? None of you would say, no, it's tainted. It's dangerous. That could hurt me. Sin is a lot like that. Even the tiniest bit in your life can cause great devastation. If you've ever looked at the back or the side of, of rat poison or, or, or mouse poison, you realize that 98% of it is filler. Just 2% of it is, is actual poison. It doesn't take a lot of sin to poison the well. It takes just a little bit and then the whole well, well is contaminated. And so James chapter 2, verse 10 says, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. If you've committed one sin, James, the little brother of Jesus, says you're guilty of it all. It's permeated everything. You could say, Pastor Tony, I... I, I I come to church I pray I read my Bible I serve other people I give whenever I can I'm always looking to help somebody uh, you know I, I I'm I only watch Christian movies whatever that is I only listen to Christian music and, and, and then I, I just watch pornography a little bit you have poison the well do all these things I'm super great I'm performing I'm doing what people tell me to do and I lust after women in my heart never actually do anything guilty but that's where jesus's sacrifice becomes our great hope it's no longer about what we've done or cannot do or what we have done it's all about what he has done he is the only one who can go into the well and completely clean it of the poison does that mean that when you come to know christ you'll no longer sin gosh i really wish that was so I really wish that once you gave your life to Jesus, it was like a little flip was switched in your back and you went from sinner to saint who was incapable of sin. The Bible says that when we give our life to Jesus, Jesus put it this way in John chapter 3, that you must be born again. That when you put your faith in Jesus and what he has done, it's as though your old man is dead and you have been born again. But here's the problem. That old man, from time to time, we resurrect him. When we're tempted, when Satan tempts us, when our flesh tempts us to do what is wrong, we resuscitate him. And he slowly comes back to life. And now we have this battle. We have have our spirit alive in us and our flesh alive in us, and they fight. Paul in Romans chapter 7 says it like this, And, and if you read that chapter, you can get turned around really quick. But he says, the things that I want to do, I don't do them. The things I shouldn't do, I end up doing those and I know what's right, and I do what's wrong, and I don't avoid one, and I can't keep to the other one. And he concludes by saying, Oh, wretch that I am. You see, Paul was a pretty strong, vibrant, fervent Christian, loved Jesus, met him radically, and yet still struggled daily with sin don't look at yourself too highly don't look at yourself too lowly realize that every person who has given their life to christ has struggled with sin until the day that they die because the flesh is still there so are you a sinner yes you're a sinner if you've been here more than once you realize yes we are sinners. The Bible says, Romans chapter 3, all of sin, fallen short of the glory of God. Everybody, all of us. That levels the playing field. When I see somebody on TV and they're wearing a big hat and a big robe, I look at them and say, you know what? Sinner too, just like me. Their robes and hats don't, don't relieve any sin. When I see Billy Graham, when I see elected officials, when I see movie stars and, 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 and musicians, I realize me and them, all sinners. When I remember my grandmother who who took me to church the first time I gave my life to the Lord, I've come to realize she was a sinner too who needed Jesus. We are all sinners. I don't stand here today pointing all of my fingers, you're a sinner, you're a sinner. No, I'm a sinner. We are sinners together. Why are we sinners? We have inherited that from our great, 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 great grandparents, Adam and Eve. The Bible uses this word called imputed. Imputed means it was given to us. It was passed down to us if I went to your bank account today and I just put oh a thousand dollars into it that's me imputing a thousand dollars to your account because of our relationship to all humanity sin has been imputed to us it's not a gift it's a curse it's the opposite of a gift but in that same way Jesus has died on the cross his righteousness has been imputed to us see how we do very little We didn't do anything to become sinners, but yet that nature is there. We didn't do anything to correct it. Jesus did everything. It's imputed to us so that we might be forgiven and become the children of God. If we're sinners today, there's opportunity to give our lives to Jesus so that we might become forgiven, so that our sins can be uh, washed away by the blood of Christ. In Luke chapter 7, if you want to turn there, if not... um, just write it down read it later. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. Jesus is eating at a Pharisee's house. If you've read the Bible or the Gospels more than once, you realize the Pharisees are like the villains of the story. They're the ones who – they're more than just the villains, the villains. They're kind of like the three stooges villains of this story. They're always saying stuff, and Jesus always confounding them, and they're always like, nok, 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 and they're just – They're not the greatest foe for Jesus. It's not like, in this corner is Jesus, and this corner is the Pharisees. It's really, here's God, and here's these little people who think they know more than God. They're going to question God about his word that he wrote. They're going to question God about his laws. They're going to question God about his methods. It's really quite silly. So a Pharisee asked Jesus to come over to his house to have dinner. Jesus got a lot of flack for always eating with sinners including the Pharisees he would eat with prostitutes he would eat with tax collectors he would eat with the people in town that we probably wouldn't associate with because we're more judgmental than we will admit but Jesus would sit down and have meals with them and and this is no different he's sitting down to have dinner with a Pharisee at his Pharisee's house says in verse 36 one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table and behold a woman of the city Probably a very polite way of saying that she was a prostitute, maybe, maybe not, who was a sinner when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Verse 39 says, now when the Pharisee who had invited him, that is Jesus, saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. See, in the eyes of the Pharisee, Jesus is now unclean because because this sinner has touched him. And not just touched him, I mean, she's been at the back of his feet crying, pouring oil on his feet, wiping it with her hair. And, and, And this Pharisee is just appalled by what she has done and that Jesus has received it. Verse 40 says, And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon the Pharisee answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Religious people don't understand this story. If you're confounded by what just happened, you might be in danger of being religious. You might be in danger of, like the Pharisees, seeing your own sin as not as bad as the sin of other people. Truly, this woman, she's identified first as a woman and then a sinner. A woman of the city, she's a sinner. It's acknowledged. It's something that needs to be forgiven. It's something that needs to be uh, cleaned from her. It's something she needs to change. But what Jesus says is, look, once she met me, things radically changed in her life. And because she was had been forgiven of so much, it it resulted in this exuberant worship of me. But you, Simon, you invited me to your house, and you think that I am not worthy to be in your house. You think that it is my privilege to be in your house. You think that you have it all together. And I'm here to tell you, Simon, that you don't. You are a religious man looking down upon this woman and not seeing yourselves as both sinners in the eyes of God. Don't be fooled into thinking that your sin is any less or any worse both sides of the of the the spectrum here is any worse or better than somebody else's sin. Don't compare your sin to other people. Compare yourself to Christ and see that you're a sinner and then ask for forgiveness. All of us at some point can say, you know what? At least I'm not Hitler, right? And and some people think things like that. They might not use Hitler, but I'm not like this person or that person. So I'm doing okay. Yeah, but compare yourself to Christ now. Compare yourself to God. See where that gets you. Oh, man, I don't know about that. He loved his enemies. He died for people who didn't love him. He, he did everything he could to give his life for, for people like me. I, I understand that, yeah, my sin's pretty bad, and I need help. The Bible says that Jesus, because of sin, through the cross, was he became the propitiation for our sin the payment or the 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 relief of debt for our sin he himself he didn't just pay it he became it he through the cross negated all that we owed and and today you can give your life to Christ and have your sins forgiven now some of you like the pharisee like Simon will say well my sins aren't that bad and you'll walk out of here and that, that'll be the end of it but for some of you, you realize that what you've done and what has been done to you has has just cut to your heart. It's, it's, it's destroyed people. It's hurt people. And this debt is too much and that you need forgiveness for it. The good news is, is you can have it today. You can be forgiven. But But what I haven't addressed here is the actual original question. At this point, I've explained to you, whoever asked the question, I've explained to you how to be forgiven, but I haven't explained to you how to kick that one sin that just won't go away. And that is the question that most Christians struggle with. They'll they'll read their Bible, they'll understand basic theology and and doctrines of the church and traditions of the church, and and they'll, they'll start to understand the word of God. And that's not so much of a struggle it's the struggle with that, that, that current sin that is just, oh, it's got its gripping us. How? How do we get through that? How do we finally kick that? How do we get to a place where it's no longer a hook in our heart? All right. That is, that is the question. Because before we were Christians, we didn't care. How many of you, before you knew Christ, stayed up awake at night wondering how you were going to stop this or that? If your problem was with alcohol, you probably didn't even care. But now that you're a Christian, now that Christ's life is in you, you realize this has got to stop. Some of you have just been neglectful to your wife or your husband and and you realize now, man, I got to stop this, but I can't. I don't know what to do insert whatever sin it is in there think of that for a moment and i will tell you the not so secret way to kick all this first is confession this is a big one i'm gonna lose a lot of you just with this right here john first john uh, chapter one verses eight through ten says if we say we have no sin we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us basically if you say you're not a sinner that you haven't sinned you're a liar you're sinning again It's a whole cycle. Verse 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him, Jesus, a liar, and his word is not in us. Don't sugarcoat or downplay or water down what you have done. Be honest. Go to the Lord. Say, Lord, I did this, and I am honest horrible and i understand what i have done is wrong don't come to the lord like a child to a parent and say well i had to or it was my only choice everybody else is doing it they did it and they seem fine why aren't they dealing with this it's classic children response isn't it go to the lord and say lord this is what i've done i lay it down before you Here's all the stuff that I did. A, B, C, and D. It's all here. I confess it to you. Don't hide it. Know that that instinct to hide it is is so primal. That's exactly what Adam and Eve did when they sinned in the garden. But lay it all out and ask for forgiveness. Confess your sins to, to God, but also confess your sins to others. Now, some people get crazy about this. And they just start telling anybody and everybody... Their sins. I'm going to advocate that you don't do that. Like you're in Walmart and the cashier's like, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm addicted to pornography. Okay, that's, that's not the icebreaker I was looking for. I just wanted to, you know, make small talk as you bought your, you know, your egos. But James says in chapter 5 verse 16, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person or a, the fervent prayer of a righteous person uh, has a great power as it is working. It, it availeth much, I think the King James says. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He had a h- sinful human nature and he prayed fervently that it might not rain and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again and the heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. If you have sinned, there is more than likely a victim of your sin. You need to confess that to that person. If you're a husband and you have sinned against your wife, you need to confess that to her. Will that lead to pain? Absolutely. If you have sinned against your children, if you have sinned against a friend or a coworker or a boss, if you've sinned against them and you've done something wrong, confess your sin to them and ask for forgiveness. This is what I have done and I was wrong. Not I, I had to or whatever. I did this and it's wrong and I'm sorry and I ask for your forgiveness. If, if you are struggling with something, maybe maybe your spouse is not the one directly becoming a victim, but, but you're afraid to confess it to her for the way she'll view you or whatever. I'm going to encourage you today to confess that to your wife and wives confess that to your husbands. Tell them what you are struggling with. Confess what you have done or what you struggle with. So many Christians struggle with these sins that they internalize and, and they don't realize that there is great help to be found by simply confessing to one another that, you know what, this is my problem. I can't, I can't kick this. So the first thing you're gonna do is confess. Second thing you're gonna do is repent. And repent's not a big word anymore. Like there's a day and age where everybody said repentance, but it's not really a word anymore. Not even in churches, which is really sad, but repentance is really, really simple. If you're walking towards sin, repenting is just turning around from it. And, and, and repentance can start with words, but it has to be followed by actions. Jesus, I, I've asked for your forgiveness, and now I repent of my sin, and I ask for your help to repent of my sin. Keep me on the path that walks away from sin back towards you. Number three, be loved. This is a hard one. Many of you understand that Jesus loves you, but allowing yourself to be loved, to just acknowledge that, yes, Jesus loves you, that, yes, you're going to disappoint him, yes, you're going to fail at some point, but Jesus still loves you knowing that. You need to acknowledge that you are loved by God and that there's no action that you could take that would ever cause him to stop loving you. You are loved by God. And lastly, Repeat this until you die. Here's the key, folks. There's no magic bullet. There's no five-step process. There's no prayers that do this. There's no nothing. We can pray for you. We can cast out demons. We can we can do all these things together. At the end of the day, when one sin goes, another one's going to come up, and you're going to be in the same fight with a different flavor, and you're going to have to repeat this process all over again i say this to encourage those of you who struggle with this every day this is a battle that will go on in some way shape or form until you cross from here to be with the lord this is why the bible speaks so highly of persevering and enduring being steadfast in your faith because there is no magic moment where you go from being sinner to incapable of sinning until you actually die. This is why confession is so important. We can hold ourselves accountable. We can talk about things. Even as uncomfortable as they might be, we can confess these things to one another and say, you know what, this is what I'm struggling with. And as your pastor, I don't have, I'm not a magician, but but I'm here to listen to you and to pray with you as you struggle with these things, whatever they might be. If your struggle is with pride, you got to crucify that pride so that you can come forward and ask for prayer and not care what anybody thinks because the only person that's a prisoner of that trap is you. Confess, repent, be loved, repeat. Do that today, do that tomorrow. Don't turn it into a ritual. We're not giving you a get-out-of-sin-free card. This is how you are going to deal with the sin that just won't go away. And then one day, I don't know how you'll do it, but one day this particular sin will no longer be the struggle. And if something else arises, then we start the process over again. Is it tedious? Yes. Is it hard? You betcha. But do you have Jesus? Absolutely. Will he do the heavy lifting? Yes. What will you have to do? Surrender. Surrender, put your arms up. This is why so many people raise their hands during worship and also why so many people don't. It's surrender. It's the universal sign for giving up. I'm not just lifting my hands because this is magic time during music. This is me saying, God, I give up to you my desires and what I've done. I give my hands up in surrender towards you and only you. Be honest. I'm I'm not the spiritual referee of South Bay Chapel where I come into your life and I start to identify, okay, that's sin. That's not sin. You should be doing that. You shouldn't be doing that. That music's too loud. You should be in bed by 10. I mean, I'm not that guy, okay? But you know what you're doing is wrong. You know what your sin is better than anybody on this planet. You know what you have struggled with. It's time to confess it to the Lord, to be honest with him and yourself, to repent of it. Asking for forgiveness, knowing that he forgives you. Go back to the story of the prodigal son found in the Gospel of Luke. You have a, a young man who spends his money on, on prostitutes and fast living. I mean, he wastes his inheritance on the worst kind of living, and he comes back home to his dad to ask for forgiveness. He doesn't find a dad with his arms crossed. He finds a dad who's running towards this child, arms wide open, embracing him and bringing him back and to the family. When you sin, and when you acknowledge that you have sinned, you don't find a God who's ready to throw you into hell. You find a God who's ready to throw his arms around you, and to love you, even if you've done this sin for the thousandth time. Repent for the thousandth time, and do it again, and do it again, and do it again. And And just frustrate Satan, and just frustrate your flesh by giving your life back to Christ again jesus we thank you so much and there's so much to talk about and sin has touched and and, and infiltrated us in every regard and respect and we're praying lord now that you would give us uh, the wisdom that we need to identify it and not just avoid it lord but to confess it to you to not be afraid to confess what we have done but to bring it to you knowing that you are eager to forgive us i thank you lord that you are a good and gracious and loving father who wishes to reconcile with us more than damn us to hell. I thank you, Lord, that that there are those out there whom we can still preach the gospel to, that we can save from those same fires that we were once destined for. Help us, Lord, to be as wise as serpents, but as gentle as doves as we go out into the world, to show them that there is something better, and his name is Jesus. We love you, Lord. In his name we pray. Amen.